Good morning to each of you. Glad you're here. Glad I can be here. I struggled uh, a fair amount uh, trying to decide what I would uh, use this morning in preaching. And uh, several things this morning rather interesting to me. One is that the sermon I had thought about, and it actually worked on some, uh, Dear Brother Leon preached it last Sunday, so I decided that I think I better choose something else. I was going to use Moses uh, as an example of someone who faced a lot of challenge and, and uh, was helped of the Lord, led of the Lord, and endured, and uh, did well. And uh, that was his sermon. I decided that, that I would use this morning uh, a subject that I have been asked to speak on at a uh, counselor's retreat in June, and that is uh, lament, worship through lament. And maybe you're like I am, haven't thought much about that, haven't thought much about lament. But my uh, guess is that even if you haven't thought much about it, you've done some of it. Um, one way to think about lament is that it is, um, it has something to do with complaining. Something to do with telling God how bad things are. And uh, right away, I can guess some of you are thinking, but we're not supposed to complain. Well, many people experience um, difficulty, we all do, and even what I would call a dark night of the soul in which we are close to um, despair and really do wonder how this can possibly come out okay. And uh, that's because we live in a broken, evil, fallen world. And we experience a lot of disappointment and discouragement and loss and evil and unfulfilled expectations. I'm sorry if I'm... Uh, you know, making you feel discouraged while I'm saying this. We, we experience a lot of misery and death in life. And some days, uh, I think most people on some days are greatly troubled by all of this. And, and I would admit that I've had my days, I've had my periods of time, of uh, weeks or months of um, feeling uh, in a dark time. And, and I will also admit that uh, it's, that's one of the reasons that I don't um, pay a lot of attention to the news, although I do some. What is lamentation? What is lament? Well, it's an expression of distress because of the evil, the chaos, the brokenness, the suffering or death in the world. 
and in our lives in what we're experiencing. And prayers of lament are, I believe, a form of faith. They are a form of worship. In lament, when we bring our distress to God, we are actually, by doing that, we are expressing faith. We would not be talking to God if we did not believe that he cared enough to listen. So instead of backing away and living on our own, we are at least bringing the distress to God. And that, dem that demonstrates faith in God. The value of lamentation or lament is that it allows us to speak honestly to God. I would like to give, um, well, one thing that surprised me in my study of, of this is how much of Scripture is lament. And a lot of the Psalms, uh, at least a third of them, and maybe 40%, uh, uh, are lament, and there are uh, lamentations, the book, and there, there are many, many passages that actually are a form of lament. So characteristics, I'd like to share that first before I go to examples. Uh, the, the laments in Scripture are addressed directly to God, and they go something like this, Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. That's Psalm 130. And my soul, too, is utterly terrified. But you, O Lord, how long? That's Psalm 6. And uh, perhaps in our words, we would say that I've, I've been calling to you, Lord, and, and I don't get any answer. It's like you don't pick the phone up. So we, we take our cries to God, but he seems, sometimes he seems far away and like he's not listening. So we have this kind of lament. Oh my God, I cry out day by day, and you answer not by night, by night and there is no relief for me. And that's in Psalm 22. So lament, in a lament, uh, we are addressing God directly. Uh, the second thing characteristic of lament is that we ask questions, heartfelt questions, honest questions, hard questions, uh, such as, oh Lord, oh, how long, O oh Lord, will you utterly forget me? Uh, which implies that I'm, I'm at the end of what I can endure and I don't know how much longer I can hang on. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand aloof? Why do you hide in times of distress? That's Psalm 10. And there are many uh, lament, laments in Scripture that that say things like, life is not making any sense. What is going on? And probably the question, 
what are you doing, God, is not, maybe, it's not so much a question of give me information as it is a question of pain. Although we do like to have answers. Another characteristic of lament, uh, in lament the afflictions of the speaker are described in broad terms uh, and often many other people could identify with the words that are given. Uh, Heal me, O Lord, for my body is in terror. Loneliness. Uh, that's uh, Psalm 6. My friends and my companions stand back because of my affliction. Psalm 38. Uh, sometimes it's uh, the result of danger and mistreatment. Uh, David often had that kind of lament, O oh Lord, save me from those who pursue me. And uh, one of the Psalms says, cast me not off in my old age. Um, I'd like to read a few verses from uh, Lamentations. Uh, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All her honored, all all who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O oh Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street the sword bereaves. In the house it is like death. And in chapter 2, how the Lord is how the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foe, the might of your foes. Uh, then in chapter three, um, uh, 
I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. So here's one characteristic of many laments is that they, they often end up with an acknowledgement or worship, praising God that he heard the lament. Uh, I'd like to read a few verses in Habakkuk. Um, o Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you? Violence! And you will not save. In other words, his question is, how long will I cry out to you and you don't do anything? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong and do nothing? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. So he's complaining about this. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You are you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And uh, maybe I, I feel like I need to ask you have you not thought these things at times? Maybe prayed them? O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and this, this is the end of Habakkuk and his uh, worship, after all his complaining, though the fig trees should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Now probably the most, uh, I don't know if I'll use the word famous, I don't know, uh, New Testament lament is the words of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is a quote from Psalm 22. 
Um, I remember uh, for myself uh, a period, I've, I've had several periods of time that I was uh, rather distressed. Uh, it, in fact, that song we sang, How Firm a Foundation, I had uh, typed and printed off and had uh, put in a uh, frame in my office at uh, Faith Builders, and um, I, I guess to gain courage was why I did that. Uh, but I remember one time I was in quite a bit of distress, and uh, I decided that I uh, needed to do something, you know, to help myself. And I, um, I know this now, when I think about it, it seems kind of ridiculous, but I, I decided that I was going to read in the Psalms until I found something that helped me. <laughs> and I started in Psalm 1, and I, I have no idea why it went this way, but I, I read all the way to Psalm 62 before I... Before I felt like I had any help. And I know that sounds terrible, but it was probably just the state I was in. I don't know, but uh, maybe I had to read that long before I could really see anything. Um, but uh, what, I, what I read that helped me, it, and it, it things, you know, what helps people can be different. But what I read that helped me was this verse. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Now, somehow, when I read that verse, it, it consoled me. And I, I think it was the idea that if I pour out my heart to God, he will hear, he will hear and care, and he will work. I would like to use um, Job here to talk about lament. A part of what I want to do here this morning is help you understand that lament is a valid form of worship. And I also want to uh, maybe help you understand uh, how, how, how bad you can lament and it be okay. I told somebody a couple weeks ago that, uh, that sometimes I feel like I want to throw some rocks at God, and uh, he corrected me, and I didn't, I didn't respond to the correction, but I think I will sometime, uh, because my, my statement of throwing rocks at God was really a statement about feeling a need to lament about some things and just tell God how they are. Well, here's Job in chapters 3 and 6. He, he starts out by cursing the day of his birth. Let the day of my birth be erased. Let those who are experts at cursing curse that day. I know that sounds terrible. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant my desire. I wish he would crush me. I wish he would reach out his hand and kill me. At least I can take comfort in this. 
Despite the pain, I have not denied the words of the Holy One. But I don't have the strength to endure. I have nothing to live for. Do I have the strength of a stone? Is my body made of bronze? No, I am utterly helpless without any chance of success. Now we know uh, Eldon said something about Job. That, that made me smile too, that he started out on Job and I'm like, well, I wonder what all he's going to do with Job because I was going to talk about Job. That was a good introduction. Okay, chapters 4 and 5, uh, Eliphaz, he says to Job that the innocent prosper. And if you were innocent, you'd be prospering, so you must be guilty. And by the way, by the way, I just want to say that we really, really need to be thoughtful about the words we say, the things we think, and what we say to people who are in distress. I think a lot of times we think we 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 add it all up and it adds up to this. And we are very sure we have added this up right. But what if the way we add it up really isn't God at all? What if that is not what God thinks about it? Well, here's what Job says in response uh, to Eliphaz. I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. My bitter soul must complain. Am I a sea monster? Now, he said a lot more than this, but this, this is part of it. Am I a sea monster or a dragon that you must place me under guard? I think, I've thought this too. He says, I think my bed will comfort me and sleep will ease my misery. But then you shatter me with dreams and terrify me with visions. So he thought he'd go to bed and to sleep and that would free him from all his pain and distressing thoughts, and then he had these crazy dreams. I would rather be strangled, rather die than suffer like this. I hate my life and don't want to go on living. Oh, leave me alone for my few remaining days. It's like, he's almost like saying, God, I just wish you just let me alone here. It, it, nothing's helping. Um... <clears throat> It gets better, though. Uh, Bildad says to Job in Job 8 that he should repent. And uh, Job says, I'm, I am disgusted with my life. Let me complain freely. My bitter soul must complain. I will say to God, don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge you're bringing against me. What do you gain by oppressing me? Why do you reject me, the work of your own hands, while smiling at the schemes of the wicked? Well, I would say, Job, that's not really what God was doing, but he was saying how he felt about it, okay? Then in Job 11, Zophar says, you deserve worse than you're getting. And Job says, be silent now and leave me alone. Yeah, I get that. Be silent now and leave me alone. Let me speak, and I will face the consequences. 
Why should I put myself in mortal danger and take my life in my own hands? God might kill me, but I have no other hope. I am going to argue my case with God. He's on the right track now. <clears throat> but this is what will save me. I am not godless. If I were, I could not stand before him. So, Job is coming to God. So I'm going to talk to God. It's the only hope I have. In Job 15, Eliphaz says, God, Job does not fear God. And uh, Job says, in Job 16, I have heard all this before. <laughs> Some of these things make me smile. I have heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are. Won't you ever stop blowing hot air? What makes you keep on talking? I could say the same things if you were in my place. I could spout off criticism and shake my head at you. But if, I, but if it were me, I would encourage you. I would try to take away your grief. Instead, I suffer if I defend myself, and I suffer no less if I refuse to speak. Oh God, you have ground me down and devastated my family as if to prove I have sinned. You've reduced me to skin and bones. My gaunt flesh testifies against me. God hates me and angrily tears me apart. He snaps his teeth at me and, and pierces me with his eyes. People jeer and laugh at me. They slap my cheek in contempt. A mob gathers against me. God has handed me over to sinners. He has tossed me into the hands of the wicked. I was living quietly until he shattered me. He took me by the neck and broke me in pieces. Then he set me up as his target. And now his archers surround me. His arrows pierce me without mercy. The ground is wet with my blood. Again and again he smashes against me, charging at me like a warrior. I wear burlap to show my grief. My pride lies in the dust. My eyes are red with weeping. Dark shadows circle my eyes, yet I have done no wrong. And my prayer is pure. And uh, Bildad says, well, God punishes the wicked, so you must be wicked. And Job responds, how long will you torture me? How long will you try to crush me with your words? You have already insulted me ten times. You should be ashamed of treating me so badly. You think you're better than I am, using my humiliation as evidence of my sin, but it is God who has wronged me, capturing me in his net. I cry out, help, but no one answers me. I protest, but there is no justice. God has blocked my way so I cannot move. He has plunged my path into darkness. He has stripped me of honor and removed the crown from my head. He has demolished me on every side, and I am finished. He has uprooted my hope like a fallen tree. Have mercy on me, my friends, have mercy. For the hand of God has struck me. 
Must you also persecute me like God does? Haven't you chewed me up enough? Oh, that my words could be recorded. And they were. He didn't know it, huh? Oh, that my words could be recorded. Oh, that they could be inscribed on a monument, carved with an iron chisel and filled with lead, engraved forever in the rock. <clears throat> and then the next thing he says is, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. <clears throat> maybe, uh, maybe I want to say that uh, some of us haven't lamented long enough to get where Job got. Maybe we give up too soon. <clears throat> I'd like to talk a little bit in closing about uh, how the person and work of Christ provides a foundation for us to lament, be honest with God, and come, come to God with our life as it is, whatever state we are in. I'd like to begin in, in Isaiah 53, and I'm, I'm going to read some verses from the Old Testament and then some from the New, and I'm going to make some comments about them. On what basis can God, can Christ, meet us in our distress? Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. That goes back to that previous statement that he was cut off without descendants, but because of his uh, bearing of sins and troubles, distress, 
sicknesses to the cross. Sins, yes, he, he died and rose again, and that's how you can have many descendants, you and me, sons and daughters. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. Uh, so, here, here's what we see there. He, he took our weaknesses, our rebellion, our infirmities, our sorrows, our sins. He was despised, rejected, crushed, wounded in body and spirit, <clears throat> as much as you have been and more. And all of this happened so that he could justify many, bear our iniquities, and make intercession for us in our sins. And so Jesus endured. He suffered or endured during his life on earth and carried to the cross every pain, every feeling, every rejection, every burden, every affliction that we suffer and endure in this life so that he can meet us, redeem us, heal us, save us in this life and in the next. Uh, Psalm, I'm, I'm sorry, Isaiah 57, a few verses there. The, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. For I will not fight against you forever. I will not always be angry. If I were, all people would pass away all the souls I have made. I was angry, so I punished those greedy people. I withdrew for them, but they kept going on their own stubborn way. I have seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn, bringing words of praise to their lips. So the, the Holy One lives both in heaven and with the humble. He lives with the needy person so he can revive and redeem them. Uh, this holy one in his high and lofty place, he notices and is enraged, enraged about evil and the injustices people inflict upon others. But he works to redeem. He works to deliver. He works to heal. The Holy One who heals, uh, he heals because he cares and because he is able. The Holy One who heals those who turn to him, the Holy One heals those who turn to him in humility in their need. And he comforts those who mourn. Uh, this is Isaiah 58. Uh, this is breaking in the middle of the chapter. Uh, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. 
and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. And uh, these verses, like, verses like this in the Old Testament, they are foretelling Jesus. And that Jesus came, would come, to bring justice, to set people free from the cords of evil that have come upon them. And Jesus is, is calling us to enter in to the healing work by showing compassion, by taking action, by entering into uh, resisting evil in a godly way. So we, we get to the New Testament in several places there. Uh, here's one in Matthew 4 where uh, it says Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom and he healed every kind of disease and illness. And people brought to him the people who were sick. So, and he, it, that's in the same context of him calling the disciples to follow him and saying, you will do this work that I do. And then in Matthew 8, uh, Jesus arrived at Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. Then she got up and prepared a meal for him. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah who said, Quoting Isaiah 53, he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. So the, the healing that is available to us in Jesus was made possible by him bearing our infirmities and sicknesses to the cross. And so we have this invitation then to come to him with whatever, whatever our life is whatever it is. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and then I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle of heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is certainly talking about surrendering our heart in salvation to Jesus, and he will free us of the burdens of our heart, the evil, the guilt, the shame, so on. It's also talking about 
the place of rest that we have in Christ when we bring whatever we have to him. I want to close with Hebrews 4, which says, The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before him. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same feelings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So <clears throat> God cares deeply about his suffering people, their suffering, uh, whether the suffering is a result of sin, evil, theirs, somebody else's, or injustices, or whatever it is. Jesus is able to receive our lament and minister to us in our situation, in our spiritual, emotional, uh, physical condition, whatever it is. He's able to minister to us and to receive our distress, our lament. We are called to bring our lament to God. We are called to care and enter into ministering to those who lament. And we are called to demonstrate the same attitude toward others in their lament, in their lament that God has. Now, I have four suggestions for how to lament. Uh, the first one is identify the difficulty you're in, the pain you're in, the grief you're in. Identify it. What is it? The second, turn to God with it. Bring it to God. Speak the truth to God. Tell him. Uh, the third, to cry for help in the midst of talking to God, and uh, the fourth, to worship by saying, uh, these things have happened to me, yet, yet I trust God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you are able to care for your people, to care for each of us in our distress. In our physical distress, in the trauma of our soul, in the pain, whatever it is, our fears, overwhelmed with trouble. Whatever it is, Lord, thank you that you can meet us and you invite us to come to you and talk to you and just tell you how it is. I pray that you would meet each one here in whatever way you know each one needs. I pray you would meet us and speak to us and work, uh, work to heal and redeem. Work to do whatever it is you know we need, we need, and I pray that you would accomplish your good purposes, and thank you. Amen.